You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 620 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live. I am recording, actually, on uh, deep into the night on Thursday, but you're going to be listening to this on Friday. I am posting it overnight to drop for the weekend here in late August. Joining me on today's podcast is the great Matt Moore of the Action Network, formerly of CBS Sports and at HP Basketball on the Twitter machine. Matt is, uh, I think, very, very smart about the NBA and a longtime friend, so I really appreciate him coming on the podcast today. In a moment, we will get to him. I do want to take a second to remind you to subscribe to this podcast. I uh, decided to do the interview with Matt ad-free, so there will be one coming up before the interview actually begins, but please subscribe to the podcast on a variety of platforms via whichever one you want to listen to, honestly. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Himalaya, all those places that you can find podcasts. We should be at all those places. If we're not, please let me know that. I will get that rectified in a hurry. And uh, without further delay, we will have a short break and then uh, an interview with Matt Moore. Matt, thank you for joining me, my friend. How are you on this fine August evening? I am living my best life. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I'm spending most of my time watching, like, for work time, watching film of guys that you get like caught up on. Um, watched every single pass that Trey Young had last year, which was really fun. Um, I've gone hiking. I spent a lot of time with my kids, grilling, having some beers, going to concerts. Uh, I have I've made the most of this fine off season. You're doing what you're supposed to do in August. Um, mm-hmm. You're not you're not online arguing about pickup basketball and craziness. That's going yeah, that's on. the thing. I, it's funny because every time I try to dip online and I say anything, if I make any sort of comment, like I made a joke about the Knicks the other day because you know it's the Knicks, and someone <laughs> responded with like, "It's August. Why don't you log off?" And I'm like, "This is like the first time I've been online, man. Like I haven't done anything. Like I I haven't <laughs> been around at all. I just hopped on to make a quick Knicks joke because." You know, it's the Knicks. Yeah, that's probably the right thing to do in August. Just hop, hop in, hop off, and uh, if something's ugly, you just Homer Simpson it and turn right back around and go home. Pretty much. Um, well, w- with that said, we'll, we'll talk some Hawks here. Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen you or we haven't talked in depth since Summer League. Um, I was going to ask you sort of broadly first. You know, you, you're a national guy. You obviously study, I think, more than most national people do. But what's the perception of this Hawks team uh, outside of the bubble that is Atlanta? I think I have a decent idea. But what, what do you kind of see from this Hawks team right now? And uh, I guess, you know, both for this season and the future. I'm a little worried the expectations are a little like the, the I think the cart's a little ahead of the horse a little bit. Um, I think th- there's kind of this idea that with Trey's development um, and with some of the uh, of the additions and with Collins being another year better um, and with DeAndre Hunter that they're all of a sudden going to be like ready to, you know, because it's the East and the, the East is weak, that they're going to be in position to kind of make a push. Uh, and I've kind of been like thinking about how like, well, OK, we, we kind of got to slow down. On that we got to I think there's a perception that they're going to be one of the most um, dynamic teams in the league next season, and they're probably going to be one of the worst defensive teams we may have ever seen. Um, I think that that last part is what may get lost a little bit in because the Hawks play in Atlanta, and because the Hawks do not have like a marquee 
star because Trey's not that level yet. I think it's very easy for people to be like, you know, the Hawks are going to be really good next year without having to actually like kind of look at what that actually means for them, like what that would look like. And so I think that there's a little bit of maybe overestimation of where they're going to be, but I do think that there's a lot of optimism of in the next couple of years, this is going to be a really good team. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Um, in, in general, I think, you know, part of it's just fans being fans locally, but even nationally, as you're, as you're saying, um, there's a little bit of uh, more broad like excitement about the team, which is certainly justified given the talent they have and kind of what they've been able to do, but that does not mean that they're going to be good right away uh, right now. They certainly could be. I mean, I could talk myself into them um, if things go very well, um, you know, flirting with high 30s in the win total. Uh, I'm not going to pick that, however. Uh, we'll, we'll sort of talk about that more a little bit later, but I want to just, you know, see where you are on the Hawks, and we can sort of drill deep. You mentioned, I guess it's an easy way to get into this, um, you mentioned watching all of Trey Young's passes. That would be fun, because Trey Young is uh, very good at passing basketballs. Um, sounds like you're you're uh, positive on him in general, but what what do you make of Trey? Because obviously he was uh, very good for, you know, at least the last two-thirds of last season, and, uh, you know, the upside's very high. Uh, he's got really, he, he's, I mean, the instincts are phenomenal. Like, we knew that from college, yeah. right? And he's... He's very instinctive. He's such a willing playmaker. He's um, he's got great feel for the game. I think that his placement is really good. There's a couple where I noticed I was like, oh, he's got to kind of clean that up a little bit on passes to the corner and things like that. But he does just have like a real everything. just feels so smooth with him. Like he he remind the Nash comparison. I I know it's been beaten to death. It's just it really is so apt for what. Yeah he kind of looks like <laughs> it, it just he, he just it's it, it's that same kind of thing where he just makes everything exceptionally easy um he's got such a, a smoothness about him looping you know moves and mechanisms and i think that um you know his offensive ceiling is so high where in a league that's so offensively driven now i think it means that there's an even higher chance that he's going to be like a real star like there's this question of like well, can he get better defensively? I'm like, well, part of me is like, I don't think he can. Like, I don't think it, but I also don't think that that means that he can't be great. I think that he can be a great player in the NBA um, and, and be, you know, one of the, the the league's marquee stars, even if he's never a great player defensively. I think that that's going to have to be who he is. But I also think that that's definitely possible. I also noticed, um, you know, the chemistry that he had with some of the guys I thought was really interesting and what he was able to do. And like, um, Alex Len kind of stands out a little bit in terms of, of what he's able to kind of bring to the table as a finisher and some of these, these mechanisms. Um, and then Kevin, I think also too, just as a, a weapon on the perimeter, like they were just able to generate so many freaking threes. Like they just generated so many threes. And with, you know, Hunter and Reddish like that, that will probably go up this year. Uh, I'm really interested to see like what their offensive rating is going to top out at, right? Like, is it are they going to be closer to like 108, which is like, hey, that's really good for a young team, or are they going to really push the boundaries? Because I think that if they just go all out, if they just commit themselves all in on offense, um, then I, I really think that they could do some pretty incredible, really fun. Going to hurt you when you play serious teams, but screw it, you're still all your guys are under 24. Um, they're capable, I think, of, of some really high level stuff. Yeah, and to your point about the offensive rating, you know, it's 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 a pretty small sample. Um, but after the break last year, what 24, 25 games, something like that, it was it was around one eleven. Yeah. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure that's representative necessarily, but 
I, I think obviously offensively they're much better than they are defensively, and pretty pretty intriguing in terms of what they could be. You know, shot profile wise, that's I really enjoy that about Lloyd Pierce, and you know, it helps to have Trey Young as your offensive engine to create those shots. But Pierce understands what to do. Um, he's one of those guys that has a very very modern shot profile, and I think that really helps. The Hawks as well, because, you know, the talent isn't overwhelming aside from Young and Collins. And, you know, some of the supporting guys are not necessarily um, off the charts. Like Alex Lynn, I thought was pretty decent last year, but not someone you, who you would have been banking on before last year to be awesome. And now with Dwayne Debbin out the, win, out the uh, window to uh, Sacramento, that kind of hurts a little bit as well. But, you know, offensively, it's pretty intriguing. Um, real quick, real quick, quickly on Trey, um, defensively, it's obviously the overarching question with him. I think he's going to be better, but better does not mean good, if that makes any sense. I think just him learning some tricks and getting stronger, he'll improve. I- improving, though, is not um, being you know passable. I mean, passable is kind of all you can ask for. It's kind of where I am on this. And I think that that is possible for me to just be like you know strongly below average, but not going to just murder you all the time. Because I-, I do think that he is a smart enough player where he might figure some stuff out. But that is a very... I think there's probably kind of a wide chasm between where that is and where guys, you know, might hope to be normally just because of where he's coming from. I think the other thing to keep in mind is at least for his career, like he may be better this year. Um, yeah. There's kind of a bell curve with offensive players. Okay. So like some players are two way players like Kawhi Leonard or Paul George and those guys, they get better defensively and then they just get better defensively. They just get better. But most guys that are offensive, if you look back at like James Harden, Russell Westbrook, um, most of these guys, they start off bad because you don't know anything as a rookie. You have no knowledge base, right? You just don't know what you're doing. Uh, you get into an NBA conditioning program and you are, are seeing the same opponents night by night. You pick up tendencies. You learn stuff from your veterans. You improve up until you're about 24 and then you get paid and all of a sudden, you don't need to as much because you're <laughs> an offensive superstar, and that's other people's job. And then it kind of starts to dip a little bit, and then it kind of like flatlines at the bottom. And that's usually like that's kind of what I'm expecting for Trey. It's like he'll be a little bit better, he'll be a little better, and then we'll have a season where we're like, you know, like, and Hawks fans will be spouting defensive statistics like the Rockets fans do about Harden, where it's like, you know, he's in the X percentile when it comes to pick and roll defense on the left side of the floor. Uh, in the last four minutes of the game, I'll have you know, um, and they'll kind of like focus in on like, hey, he's better than you think he is, and he will be, and then he'll won't try as much because that's just kind of what happens. I expect him to be somewhere between Nash and Curry. So like, Curry's physically limited, but he's bigger. Because so he, he's a Curry. he's a lot longer. He's a lot longer than Trey Young is. A yeah, lot. he's a lot. He's bigger, and uh, he tries really hard. Like. Steph just gives the effort. He just, you know, okay, I'm undersized uh, and I'm not that quick and I don't have lateral movement. I don't have like a huge wingspan, but I have long, quick hands. So I'm going to disrupt your dribble. And that's why he picks up fouls because he doesn't like he doesn't just quit on the play. And Draymond's getting mad at him because he's like, it's fine. (laughs) You don't have to do this. Just don't pick up fouls. Um, And Kerr goes crazy over too. Versus like Nash, it was like he just physically couldn't. Like Nash wanted to defend, he just physically could not. Like Trey will be able will be able to physically defend because he doesn't have Nash's back problem, but he doesn't have either Curry's. I don't think he'll have Curry's effort level or the size, so he'll wind up between Nash and Curry. And Curry's a fine defender. He's not yeah. a good one. He's fine. So like 
I expect Trey to top out somewhere around not great. Like that's like the, the, the kind of level It's like, he's not good. It's not terrible. He's just not good. And that's, he'll be a weakness in the playoffs and that will become a big talking point. Like he's got to get better at defense. Like guess what? That's not going to happen. That's not, that's not going to happen. <laughs> No um, one's gonna. No, be, no one's gonna. No one's gonna care if if he's as good on offense as he could be, or as he, as he, I guess he projects to be. You know, there's people are gonna say that, but at the end of the day, it's not gonna matter until you get to the highest level. If that makes sense, like it doesn't. Yeah, really and we're, matter. you know, and we're around the league. Unless there's another major shift, it really is at this point. If you have four good defenders and a good defensive scheme, that gets you home. You can cover for one guy. You can't cover for two. Now that's an important distinction here. Is like for the rest of the time that the Hawks are building. They can't have two guys that are defensive liabilities. They can only have one, which that's one area where, like, you start looking at John Collins and being like, you're going to have, like, that's, I, I look at John Collins and I'm, that's where I'm like, you're the one that's going to have to get better, man. Let, like, let's go there now. Let's go, let's talk about John because that's something I was saying, you know, this year in the draft, they did go defense heavy. They, I think Hunter and Reddish are both going to be quality defensive players if, if all things work out. But, you know, previous to that, um, you know, I like Kevin Herter. I like John Collins. Uh, both those guys are certainly offense-first prospects. Not quite to the level of Trey, but certainly offense-first prospects. Uh, and Collins is the big one because at that position, um, it, it gets magnified even more. Um, you know, point guard defense is just not as important as defense where John Collins is playing. So, do you think a a can he get better and b what do you think of him now? Because um, you know, I talk about this all the time. He, he's definitely shown some some spots in his career, but on the whole. It's not controversial to say that he's not been very good, but that doesn't mean that he can't be better because he's a good athlete, et cetera, but he's kind of the swing guy for me too. Yeah, so like he's the one that I think it's going to be interesting to, to figure out like where are his priorities because there will be a very easy path. Like imagine you're his agent, right? And you're like, look, you can get better at defense and try really hard and be a two-way <laughs> player and you'll win more games and you might even win a championship and that will be awesome. Or you can focus on your offense, and you're going to make $100 million. Do you want to be, wow, that guy's really underrated. Let me tell you, this guy making $8 million is really great. Or do you want to be $100 million? $200 million is where the numbers are at now. Um, and that's going to be kind of, I think, the, the battle for him. Uh, I, I think that he's certifiably, I guess here's the thing. I'm always disappointed when I watch him because I feel like with it, with where his body is, that there's more that he could give. Like I never watch Collins and be like, wow, he just physically can't do stuff. I just watch him and go, boy, he just doesn't know what he's doing or give really any of it. It's the same thing I feel about when I watch Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns play defense where I'm just like, guys, guys, like this, come on. You're so much, you're capable of so much more than this. Um, that's kind of how I feel about Collins. So I feel like, you know, he's there's that's where the hype I think can be dangerous because the hype will lean him towards being an offense only player because he's so good at it and that's how you get paid. But hopefully Lloyd Pierce can can get through to him and be like, look, if you give me a little on this end, we're gonna win a lot more and that's only gonna make you more valuable. And that's kind of like the the selling point that's tough with young guys I think in Collins' spot. Yeah, I totally agree, and I, I think Collins understands it and it became sort of a running joke and sort of a winking thing that um, Pierce would say um, both on and off the record last year at the end of the season um, was about how John kind of told on himself late in the year because he gave more effort and the results were much better. Um, granted, it's it's March and April basketball in the NBA, which I know you've talked about this a lot. It's not always predictive of the future, but um, he 
he definitely turned it up and was much better over the last two months or so. Now, much better does not mean awesome. It just means he gave better effort, and Pierce regularly talked about how John now has now flashes, and now he has to do it all the time, which we'll see if he's able to do that. But there is more in there, for sure. I agree with you on that. I think he's probably limited a little bit by his physical size based on where he's what, like sort of what he's being asked to do. But with his burst and the way that he can go off the floor, um, he can, there's no reason why he can't be a solid defender, not, not going to be a game changing defender. I don't think in, uh, in any way, shape or form, but someone who we don't talk about being a negative in a year or two, um, that's a reasonable outcome. And if that happens, that really helps because as you read, as you mentioned, uh, sort of the lead guy on this team right now is always going to have that. So if you don't have to have that with two or three guys, that really helps. Like after the all-star break, they had a one eleven point four, or, or I'm sorry, a one fourteen offensive rating um, with him on the floor, He's like a one fourteen <laughs> offensive rating with him on the floor. And yet they were only plus 0. 0.8 with him, which is still good for a team that young. Um, because they gave up 113.6. So, like, th- this is where I see, like, a lot of these guys are at, where I'm like, we're not talking about you being locked down. I'm not asking you to hold guys at 90 points for 100 possessions. Just be not horrible. Just be 20th. If you're just 20th in, like, if the Hawks are, I'll tell you this, if the Hawks are 20th in defense, they're making the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. It's that simple. Like, Ooh, if they're 20th, 20th in defense. I've, I've been saying, like, they need to get to the middle of the pack, but 20th is, no. that's interesting. Okay. No, because 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 Orlando is not going to get above like 15th offensively, and Detroit's probably not going to get above like probably 18th defensively, and like the, I think the Hawks will be better offensively than either of those two teams. So Agreed on if that, you if, sure. if you're and so if you if you get there, like you're able to just outpace them. All you have to do is not be horrific. It's the bar is so low, and yet like. Um, one of the things that that I love about doing, um, I hate using film work because it's not film, but like watching clips the way I do, um, is I will go through all the players' possessions. And what's funny is if you do this across multiple players, certain teams will stand out to you. So I did a whole thing on the Rockets where like I I went back and watched basically every possession where the Rockets, this is late last year, every possession the Rockets had after they got Capella and, and CP3 back last year. Because I was like, what did they change? How are they better? And the one game that stood out was the Atlanta game, where like everything clicked. It was like the supreme version of what the Rockets can be. And then today, I was watching Donovan Mitchell, and I was watching him versus the Hawks, and notice, and I was like, "Wow, he just completely annihilated him!" Like, this is a really good thing that they put him in like in the corner and one-on-one coverage. And there was like, and I was like, "Why was there no backline help?" And I realized I was like, "Oh, it's the Hawks!" Like, the Hawks keep popping up whenever I do film work on other guys. Wherever I'm like, "Why was this so?" E-? Oh, they were playing the Hawks. Oh, and that that's a real concern point I think going forward. Like, that's the bar that they have to get to is don't be the team that when I watch other teams, it stands out how terrible you are defensively. Yeah, the, the nicest thing I could say about the Hawks defense last year is that they were better than the Cavs. Um, yep. And the Cavs were 
the worst defense in NBA history by the numbers. So uh, yeah. Anyway, I think it might it might improve uh, this year. I'm not sure that it will because of the fact that they lose Deadman. Um, they're going to be playing some rookies, and I know DeAndre Hunter is someone who I, who I actually like. I'm not sure if you have a firm opinion on him because I know you're not a huge college basketball watcher. Right. But um, Hunter is going to be a good defender eventually, but he's still a rookie. Like you know, there's a certain ceiling on most rookie defenders, even if you have pedigree on that end of the floor, you're still playing most of the guys. And I think even with some individual growth from the young guys like Young and like Carter, like Collins, you still might be, I think, projected to be pretty bad defensively again. So yeah, maybe not as bad. You know, they finished with a 113 defensive rating last year for the full season. That's with Deadman. Um, It would not surprise me if they, if they repeated that number again, it wouldn't, that would not surprise me. I don't know. Yeah, so I mean, that, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at, right? Is like if they get to 20th, they're going to be a playoff team. I don't think they're going to be 20th. I think they're going to be 20th. 20th. You probably have to go to like what, like 110 defensive right. rating for the season, um, which is not a massive jump, but it's a jump. That's a real jump you have to make to get there. Um, I, I guess the one way, and I want to ask about the bench, so I'm going to do that now. The one way I can see that possibly happening is that um, they kind of built this bench in a strange way, and I wanted to ask you about that as sort of a deep dive thing here. Um, they don't have a backup point guard. Uh, Evan Turner is a backup point guard, which is interesting. Um, he's certainly a pretty good defensive player. I'm not really sure what he's going to do on offense. But then they have, so they kind of built this the second unit as a defense-focused unit until you look at the fact that they signed Jabari Parker, um, who is not a defensive player. Uh, so what what did you make of those? Two? I'm going to ask you about those two guys specifically. Evan Turner as the backup point guard in that role, and then Jabari Parker uh, getting a new start with a good coaching staff, which I think can probably help him, but it's definitely interesting uh, sort of trial and error thing they had going on there. Um, so I think... I think Turner's going to help. I think Turner, I think it's good. I especially like the idea of like Turner at point guard surrounded by the guys that they're going to have. Um, I was I was so high on Jabari Parker coming out of the draft. I thought he was the best player. I thought he was going to be an all-star. I was sold on him. And just the combination of Jason Kidd and his own attitude and the injuries just created a really sad situation. Like This guy should have been like one of the best players in the league. And the fact that he's not is a real, just it's, it's a bummer on a number of levels and it's some of it's the injuries, but a lot of it's just like him. So like I have very low expectations for Jabari Parker. Like Parker is going to have to, to really prove that he can find a spot in the league where got the, where teams want him, where coaches are like, yes, I want this guy around, you know? Cause that's kind of the thing is like, he just keeps getting bumped. Cause guys are just like, I need somebody that's going to at least try a little bit. That's I, just gonna I, give, like, I thought a that too, and then they gave and then they gave him a player option, and yes. I was trying to figure out why that happened because I had that same thought about Parker even before the summer, and then I I mean if I'm going to give the Hawks the benefit of the doubt, which I guess I will do right now, um, certainly they you would think they had to have another bidder or two for the Hawks to give him a player option for that much money for the second season. So maybe the interest level is still higher than I think it might've been on the market for Jabari Parker, but he's going to have to play. They're going to try it. I mean, they clearly have an investment in him to the point where they're going to have to try it and see if it works out. I'm kind of with you that I'm skeptical, but he is talented. It's not like he doesn't have talent. And I think, I think, I mean, there's a scenario, maybe a weird one, in which they kind of let him r- not run the unit, but maybe be the focal point of the offense on the second unit. Um, that's not crazy. If it works out, I'm not sure that's the greatest idea in the world. But maybe maybe that's their theory here, that they're going to just go defense everywhere and let Jabari kind of do Jabari things. I don't love that, but it, it might work. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there are ways it can work. Um, 
if he makes the most of, of what he's capable of doing, it can definitely work. Um, I really like Turner as kind of like the second unit point guard. I really, I really like that line. Cause like, that's where he's at his best is like, give Turner a bunch of weapons and a lob guy and then let him kind of manage the offense. And he's good in that role. And so if like Parker is kind of like the spot up dude, like that bench could be okay. And really all you're looking for is like, don't get outscored by more than 10. Like between, <laughs> yeah. you know, between the, uh, between the, the eight to nine minute mark of the first quarter and the six minute mark of the second, don't get beat by like 15 points. As long as that doesn't happen, like you're fine, like it's okay. Like most most bench units are in the negative, and this team's bad defensively anyway. Um, but I think it'll be like the, I think one of the issues though is like with Turner and Parker, I don't know how those guys interact with the starting units. Like that's 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 kind of my concern is I'm like, where do they fit in with like the marquee guys? Like where do they fit in with with Trey and Collins and Herter? Like where where is that? How do those guys combine with them? And they I can't, can't really they kind of don't. That. Yeah, yeah they kind of don't. With you. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I'm not sure. And I actually can't wait to ask this question to anyone. Cause right now, you know, it's, it's the summer and people aren't really around. I want to know if they even want to play Turner and, and young together. Um, just because if they do that, you know, you know, Turner kind of, kind of becomes your power forward because if he just can't shoot. So you kind of have to, and plus Young's had some off ball struggles. Granted, he was a rookie, but that is not a strength of his right now. It might become one in the future with, with the way he can shoot it. But right now off ball is not really where he's comfortable. And Turner, like you said, has to have the ball to be at his best offensively. So that's a weird spot. Parker, um, is clearly the backup power forward, but you know, you would think, you know, traditionally you might go with like a small ball unit, have, have Collins play the five, but those guys can't play defense together um, really at all. Like you better be scoring at, a, at an obscene rate if you're going to play Jabari and John Collins together at the four and the five. Right. Um, and Jabari's just a four. Like people, I, I think locally people think that he's still the guy who was a few years ago. Like maybe he can play the three. Like, no, he, he can't play the three. I think we kind of learned that by now. Maybe, maybe, maybe you disagree, but I just can't see him doing that for any length of time I don't, and I, they, just, they, just, they also just drafted two guys in the top 10 that are threes so i don't know i don't i don't disagree that he can't it's a bummer because he should have been a three from the start like i just i blame kid so much for this because kid just wanted to make him into a, a big like that was the whole thing was kid wanted to make him into a big kid was like no he's a big man we need to learn big man things he's learned to rebound and score in the post and i was like what are you doing like Parker has the skill set and the athleticism to be like, not super athleticism, but like enough to be like a do it all. Like he was a really sneaky playmaker at Duke. Like he was just sneaky good in that in that regard. Um, and yet for whatever reason, they just they just decided to make him into like a post up four. It was one of the dumbest things like I could possibly imagine for his career. <laughs> you so, mean Jason Kidd wasn't very good at basketball coaching? That's, yeah, that's weird, but. In, in a in a stunning in a stunning development. So that's kind of where I'm at on it is um, I agree. He's not going to be, it's a shame because there's all these skills that he has that could wind up helping. Um, but I do think that, yeah, he's going to be the backup four. And I honestly like him and Len might work. Okay. Together. Yeah. That, that's it, the way, that's the way, but that's the way it actually might happen. And they're going to have to do that at some point. I mean, it's going to have to be that way because Len is the only center on this team that you trust in any way, shape or form at this moment. So, uh, they're going to have to do some creativity in the front court behind Collins. But uh, yeah, I I just think that, you know, if it's, if it's Jabari as your featured piece on second unit offensively, um, that 
is probably where he would be most comfortable, but you're also playing him next to like Damian Jones or Bruno Fernando. And, you know, not exactly dynamic right now, probably. So. <laughs> not, not great. Not ideal. No, uh, I would say that's not ideal. But, you know, I wanted to at least ask about those guys because they've, they've gotten a lot of attention. They're both big names, you know, former number two, number, number two picks. And they're definitely pure role players on this team, but they're going to play. So um, I figured I'd have to ask you about them. Oh, the one guy we haven't really talked about yet is Kevin Herter. We kind of referenced him in passing. Are you a pro Kevin Herter guy? Um, I, I think people are starting to like him a little bit more. I, I've been seeing him listed or discussed in like sort of the uh, maybe the maybe a breakout guy in the future kind of discussions nationally. Are you pro Kevin Herter? Yeah, I think that he's I, – I, I like his skill set. Uh, I think that he fits real well with like where the league is at right now. So like I think he's definitely a plus. Um I don't have like any sort of like real hot takes. I'm just kind of like, oh, Herder's good. Like they're just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, guy, guy, guy who's six seven can shoot. That's that's a good yeah, thing. We six like seven that. can shoot. Does does his job real well. Like I don't I don't have any super like, you know, he's gonna be an all star or he's a bum. I'm just like, nope. Kevin Herder's good. He makes him he makes him good. He's a good he's a bridge player, right? In that like he bridges the gap between um young and collins i think that that's really important for like long-term building of the team is like having that wing that can do that i think is is crucial so i think it's a very good fit and uh, i think he's going to be able to defend not going to be a, a plus plus defender but was actually better than i thought he was going to be as a rookie like he's he's already kind of competitive and he admitted and coaching staff talked about this pretty openly that he's going to have to get stronger i think he knows that yeah he, that's a big um, issue he's yeah. gonna have to get stronger um that, that that's the big swing for him I mean, defensively. Uh, I mean, both ends of the floor, really, because that's the one thing he didn't do on offense last year was get to the rim and get and get fouled at all. Like he, his his free throw rate was comically low because he just got he just. I think he knew he wasn't strong enough and he didn't like to go down there. Uh, he's gonna have to do more of that, but I think they know that already. So, no big surprise. Um, we should talk about offense a little bit with Collins and Young because we talked about the defense a bunch. Uh, there's this. Uh, I want to see what you say about this. There, there's this. There's this. Um, not a huge debate, I would say, but a discussion that's happening in Atlanta of like who makes who better more with Young and Collins. And I think Young is probably making Collins better more than the other way around. But how much of an impact do you have? Like, do you see them having on each other? Obviously, Young is so dynamic off the dribble and with his passing that it becomes fun. But Having a dynamic lob threat also really helps a young point guard. So, like, it's sort of chicken and the egg. But what do you make of that, like, partnership and those two guys being the number one and two options offensively? Um, I think a lot of it's just uh, you remember how Amari, the Amari comp is really easy. I hate to use it, but it's kind of like true. Um, it's easy, like, and it also makes sense. I mean, it's it's way better than the original Steph Curry, the Steph right. Curry, and whatever else comp. So I'm with you. Yeah. on this, but go ahead. Use so it. So I think. <laughs> Part of it is like if you if you remember like Amari when he went to New York was still good, he just wasn't Suns Amari, and so that, that's kind of the thing is like, um, my wife hates the the sports term when when players are described as special. He's a special player. She's she's like that's the dumbest thing I I, I could possibly imagine. Like all players <laughs> are like we're all special human beings. What does that even mean? Um, but I so I told her the other day I was like what we're really trying to say is they're exceptional. And so for me, it's that uh, Trey makes Collins exceptional. And Collins makes Trey, I think, more impactful. Or like he's able to do more and have more of an impact on the game because of what he brings to the table next to him. That That's the way that I would look at it. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And I think, um, you know, 
Collins numbers were so impressive uh, last season. Uh, Once he arrived and, you know, Trey, it's not a coincidence. I don't think there was quite as much causation here, but it certainly was correlated that Trey really improved once Collins got back from the injury at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Um, It wasn't only that, but it certainly helped to give him that kind of dynamic threat. So those guys definitely make each other better. They're not wholly dependent on each other. You know, Collins definitely was efficient and got buckets and got rebounds without Trey and Trey was good without Collins at times, but they just, they fit very well together on offense, you know, defense we talked about earlier, but offensively they just really fit well together and it's, it's fun to watch them. That's not like breaking ground that I'm saying that out loud, but they just fit really well. They have chemistry. They both talk about how easy it was for them, like playing with each other. They just like each other, which is a nice thing to have when you're you're two best young players. They just enjoy each other and playing with each other. And that's a little thing um, you would think, but it's also not a little thing. Like they really like playing with each other, playing with each other. No, and that matters a lot. I think chemistry, like you, you have to have that kind of bond because like when you don't, it gets, it just gets awkward and it gets, you know, difficult. Like you have to have like this really weird combination of on court and off court chemistry. And there's so many guys that have one, but not the other. And it's like, you need both. And it seems like they, they have that. And that's going to help. I think both of them and, you know, building something like that, you're just it, it does like those combos are so valuable for um like where the league is at. Like you need two guys that are able to, to together do something that separates them. Yeah, I agree. And we'll we'll be uh it, I'll be very interested to see what they uh, look like in year two of that partnership. All right, I've kept you too long, but I have to ask you, um you know, you're, you're actually network now. Um, that, that means a lot of handicapping stuff. I, yep. I talk about probably handicapping stuff more than most people do on this podcast and other places. Uh, that means over under, I have to get an over under pick from you. And I, I saw your, I saw what you wrote a few weeks ago and uh, I think you're pretty close to where I am on this, but do you have, if I, if I uh, force you to pick the over under, will you pick one for me, for me, for this Hawks team? So I gotta get the latest number and see where it's at. At Caesars, the last time I checked, you could get them at 30, you could get the under at 36. Yeah, they opened 36, and Robbie Cowan and I almost had a conniption. I couldn't believe yeah. that opened 36. That was insane to me. I saw, on openers, I saw between 31 and 36, yeah. which you never see a five-win spread. Yeah, I mean, Caesars, Caesars like, most of the numbers are, are way, like, they're just way higher in general. And which so, is a strategy you could yeah, certainly I mean, justify. Yeah, well, yeah, especially because like, you're competing with Westgate, which is always going to be more conservative. And like, yeah, Westgate, that, that's the sharp book. Yeah, that's the sharpest book in, that you're going to find. And so... Yep. Like I, I think it was actually pretty smart. So anyway, um, like I love the under at thirty six, right? And I like it a lot at thirty three and a half, which is where the FanDuel was at the last time that I had numbers on it. It's that in there, have, in that range. Most places that, are that, now that settling may there. Have, that may have moved. Like a lot of us, like the Westgate numbers came out, and the numbers moved a lot of places. Um, but at thirty three and a half, I still like it pretty well. When you get down into thirty two and a half, and this dips down towards thirty one. That's where I'm starting to get a little bit nervous. Like I have them pegged right now for 32. That I have sense. them for, th- for 32 on the dot, and it's mostly just a product of in the Western Conference they're winning like 19 games, but in the Eastern Conference <laughs> they can win, they can win 30 games. Oh, like, that's, that's, just... that's yeah. I mean, it's I don't know. It's I think I'm higher than you, not by a ton. Uh, you know, I it's it's funny. I on the first time I talked about over unders, I think I picked. I think it was I, first one I saw was like thirty two and a half, and I said, yeah, it's about right. And I think I I think I said over. People got mad at me that I was too low, and I was like, I just I just picked the over. What do you mean? Um, part of that's just fans being fans, but it's uh, I mean, it sounds like it's, it's basically the defense you're worried about, right? Like simplifying it too much, but like is it, it's just because they you think the defense is going to be too much of a problem to win more than that. 
Yeah, so like you you try and figure out where the win's going to come from, and in the Southeast Division, there's a lot of options there for team for where they can get wins. Like they'll they'll probably have a pretty good record versus their division, and that's a lot of wins because they play those teams the most. It's a really bad division. It's a real bad division, and they'll be pretty good in that respect. Um, However, like what Western Conference team are they going to be? Like what's their record going to be versus the West? What's their record going to be versus the Atlantic? Like, who? What teams are gonna are they going to sneak up on? Is a good question, um, because like most of the teams on a, any random Tuesday night um, are pretty much going to be able to know. Like, okay, look, as long as we take care of business, we've got this. Like, all we got to do is just give like the requisite effort defensively and execute offensively, and we've got enough to take care of this. And so, I, I have a hard time figuring out like where they're. Um, their wins are going to come from. I think that they'll be a lot of fun, but I think the fun doesn't win a lot of games in the NBA regular season. The Spurs win a lot of games in the NBA regular season, and the Spurs are not fun. So um, that to me is kind of like where, where the, the whole thing kind of comes into is uh, they are going to be one of the most entertaining teams in the league. They're going to be in a bunch of probably – I think they're going to have like a lot of close games actually, um, but I don't think that they're going to have a good record. Yeah, I, I could totally see that coming. I, I think um, if things went very well, they could flirt with mid to high thirties, and that's things went very well. And if not, um, if they get an injury or two, they might be in some trouble. Yeah, I mean, if they, get well. to like, if they get to thirty-eight wins, that's a heck of a season. Like, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's not impossible, but that would be a really nice outcome. Like, very very yeah. nice outcome. Um, well, Matt, anything else uh, that you want to anything you want you want to plug? I know Action Network is something that I I subscribe to. I enjoy your work over there. Any, any projects? Anything you want to get out there and share with people? Yeah, we're, we're uh, next month. We'll have something that's kind of big on um, injury reporting and kind of where the league is at uh, going forward. Uh, that's gonna be up. I'm also gonna be doing uh, every year. I do a breakdown, a ranking of the over under bets. So on each team, like pick the over, the under, and then rank them in terms of confidence. And I'll have the case for the Hawks over and the case for the Hawks under both. And that'll be sometime before training camp starts. I recommend uh, the Action Network and especially Matt's work. I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, I really uh, thank you for the time, and uh, we'll do it again, I'm sure, at some point when I decide to bug you once once again. (laughs) Anytime, man. Thanks so much. As everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast, and we'll see you next week.